This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Uh, so I got a box of four different Magic Spoon cereals in the mail this week, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, and it was uh, the highlight of my week. When I was a child, I was only allowed to eat nice cereal on the weekends because in those days they hadn't figured out how to make cereal both nice and healthy yet. Uh, so the past few days I've been able to defy my parents and delight my child at the same time just by eating Magic Spoon's amazing frosted flavor, which reminds me of the only two days out of every week that I was ever truly happy as a boy. Um, now, it doesn't say this in the copy here, uh, which is honestly a little bit irresponsible, um, but in the interest of safety, I do want to just kind of spell out for everyone uh, that you shouldn't just open every box you come across just because sometimes there's nice cereal inside it. Uh, for instance, the Lament configuration is also a box you can find. Uh, based on the very few Hellraiser movies I've seen, sometimes you have to spend a lifetime looking for it, but sometimes it's just hidden in the floorboards of your attic. And if you carelessly open that box, you will be introduced to a world of pleasure and pain beyond anything the human mind can imagine. Um, so I want to be really clear here. If you're certain that what you have is a magic spoon delivery box, do open that. It tastes amazing, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Uh, but if you think there's any chance at all that the box you have might be the Lament configuration from Hellraiser, don't open that. It doesn't taste like anything, and usually Pinhead and an army of ill-begotten abominations called Cenobites will come out of it and pull you into a labyrinthine dimension of torment and agony. Go to magicspoon.com slash babysitters to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code babysitters at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash babysitters and use the code babysitters for free shipping. Uh, we want to thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. And again, just so it's absolutely crystal clear delicious boxes of breakfast food that will take you back to your childhood yes diabolical puzzle boxes that will open a portal to an army of extra-dimensional beings who will mercilessly flay your flesh no be safe out there in 86 nm martin wrote the first book of what became a Club. Hi, hi. Baby Nation. And welcome. No? You don't like it? I mean, fine, but like someone else is here too. Oh, sorry. Hi, hi. Baby Nation and Tanner. Thank you. Hi. And Jenkins, my cat. Yep. And Princess, cutie face, my cat, who's staring balefully at me right now. And welcome to all of you. And all of your cats to the Babysitter's Club Club, a podcast in which I, Jack Shepard, and I, Tanner Greenring, discuss the classic American novels by American hero Anne Matthews Martin about babysitters. This week, we are talking about book number 17. This book was called Marianne's Bad Luck Mystery. Mm -hmm. It's a Marianne spear point of view yep. which god damn it was good to be back to core babysitter yeah man and this was a good book this book was lit as fire yeah this this book was lit af 
I sent you a message earlier today. Yeah. I said, looking forward to tonight's record. This book was, and then I did that little fire emoji. Did you? Yeah. You, you texted me? Oh. But, what did I say? Uh, yeah, good one or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that like, sounds sort of like a non-committal. Like, yeah, yeah, something like old manish. Like, oh, yeah. great. Yeah, the, the book. I hope the book wasn't. You, on fire. you barely knew what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like a message popped up on your computer. You're like, ah, oh, <laughs> what is this? Siri. <laughs> <laughs> what a good book we read this week. I, so before we before we get down to brass tacks. I just want to say, first and foremost, last week we complained a little bit. We were complaining to each other that it kind of feels like the babysitters have stopped almost liking each other. Yeah. Where, like, in the early days it was there would be some adversity would come to Stony Brook and the babysitters would band together mm-hmm. and and solve the problem by, like, pooling their resources. Right, we're and- talking about the good old days when there was a phantom phone caller menacing yeah. Stony Brook, Connecticut. Yeah. Which happened... Exactly, exactly one, one year, year ago today. Yeah, and this is something that I, I do want to get into is the is the the very very intricate intertextuality between this novel and Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. Mm-hmm. The two books speak to each other in a lot of different ways that I think really adds a lot of value to this book. And one of the ways that they speak to each other that's so fantastic is that it really is about all of the babysitters coming together. You see all of their different points of view. They're working together. They don't hate each other. They're fighting against a common enemy, a terrifying common enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's their friendship that ultimately will be the test of whether they prevail or not. Cool. Was that your recap? No. It sounded an awful lot like a recap. No, that was just me talking. Uh, what I'm going to do, I guess, since you've introduced it, is our fan favorite little segment uh, to introduce the podcast, where I'm going to give a very short one-sentence recap of mm-hmm. this novel, and then I'm going to put 60 seconds on the timer and have you, me, Tanner, Tanner. Uh, fill in all the gaps. Fill in all the little details. Yeah, man. I got a lot of notes this week that I can kind of glean off of. So I think I feel like there's usually a little tension between us when we do this. You, I, I read my recap, and then you don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to agree with this one. Okay. The quiet, unremarkable life of 13-year-old Marianne Spear is turned upside down when she receives a sinister letter in the mail that promises her a terrible fate. From that moment on, things start to go horribly wrong in her life, threatening her friendships, her relationship with her boyfriend, and her very understanding of what is and isn't real. As Marianne digs deeper into this terrifying mystery, she is pulled irrevocably into a supernatural web of evil, deceit, and otherworldly horror. It won't be long before she learns that some mysteries might be better left unsolved. Marianne's bad luck mystery. Yeah. What do you think? Pretty right good. on? Yeah. See? I mean, you missed a lot. You missed the um, culmination of the supreme war between the ghosts and the witches, which yeah. happened in this book. Whew. You missed Claudia turning into a doll. You missed... Um, oh, I think I missed that entirely. The big reveal that Logan is definitely... If not a demon, well, at least affiliated with a demon. I caught that in my notes, and that's something that I'm very excited to talk about. Oh, boy. And before we get to your 60-second se- segment, I am so pleased. After Logan was tantalizingly introduced in book 10 just like swept onto the scene in book 10 with his slick louisville accent and his weird devotion to satanic rituals and then just nothing we get five or six books with nothing and then he's back in a big way this time but let's hear this book was a greatest hits it had everything yeah it had everything we've touched on in the past 17 books and matthews martin just brought it all home to roost she brought it it's such a winner it's such a great book why why? I'll tell you. Okay. 
I'm going to put 60 seconds on this timer. When I hit start, you begin to fill in all the details of what happened in this book. When I hit stop, you stop. Ready? Yes. Let's go now. Marianne gets a chain letter. It says, share this with 20 of your friends or you'll die. No, you'll have bad luck. She throws it away. Everyone starts having bad luck. Um, they babysit for Jamie Rodowski. He's a mess. Nope. Jackie Rodowski. He's a mess. Everyone is kind of not having very a very good week. Um, a package comes in the mail. It's a charm. It's a, a seed of some sort, a necklace. And there's a note with cutout letters that says, this is a bad luck charm. Wear it or you'll die. Uh, and then she does, and everyone keeps having bad luck. And then um, they get another letter in the mail that says, go to Old Hickory's gravestone on Halloween night at midnight under the full moon or you'll die. And then they start to put the pieces together and realize that it's two mean girls who are pulling a prank on them because they're jealous that Logan spends too much time with them. There's a war happening, brewing in the background, um, that goes kind of sort of only mentioned in passing between the witches and the ghosts. And... um, Claudia is turning into a living doll. Wow. That's a lot in one minute. Well done. Um, what do you wanna what do you wanna dive into first? I just really, really quickly yeah. wanna dip into our new segment, mm-hmm. The Eternal Sadness of Claudia. Oh yeah, that's a good one. The yeah, the eternal sadness of Claudia. Uh, for new listeners, for new members of Baby Nation. We have talked a lot ever since Stacy left. Right. Claudia has become the shell of a human being. She's just... She's just Literally, this... because I have a new theory this week. Okay. Ever since Ashley Wyeth, the mm-hmm. living doll, mm-hmm. came to take Stacy's place and tried to infect Claudia and bring her to into her sort of like harem of living dolls. In book 12, Claudia and the new girl. Yeah. Claudia has been bummed. Mm-hmm. But ever since then, and this is a theory I want to flow your way and see if it holds any water. Generally... The second chapter of all these books, the lead character does a recap for the reader and says who all of the babysitters are. Mm -hmm. What the babysitter's club is. Yep. Kind of broad strokes. Mm -hmm. And in 18 of 18 books we've read so far, Claudia is described as exotic, cool dresser, black hair. um, Artist. Artistic. Artistic. Mm -hmm. Those are always the kind of four things that are said about her. Yep. Since the Ashley Wyeth book... There's been a new descriptor, mm-hmm. and it keeps coming up over and over again, and they keep paying more and more attention to it, and it's that she has perfect complexion. Oh, wow. It like, keeps coming up like some kind of porcelain doll. Wow. And I'm I'm concerned that mm-hmm. this melancholy we're reading from Claudia now mm-hmm. is a symptom of the fact that she may be slowly transforming into one of the, the living dolls. That control everything that's going on in Stony Brook. If you listen to previous episodes, Baby Nation, you'll know that this is no light point that we make. This is not a point that we make lightly. This is a point that is substantiated time and time again in the text. Right. And then there's also this new feature of the books. This is now the second week in a row where they have these handwritten sort of like pages out of the the, the babysitter's diary. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where... The baby, it's kind of like a brief, like two, two paragraph recap of like a, a, a babysitting job that someone went on. And for the second week in a row, Claudia's entries into this book, the spelling has been so abysmally bad that it makes me worry about Claudia. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also a symptom of the fact that she's turning into a, a living doll. Just like her little hands are cramping up. Yeah. Because they're I think like she's losing control. Together. 
That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and it fits. This book is so. It's just so focused on the occult. It's got everything. It's got ghosts. Mm-hmm. It's got an evil, sinister force that we that is hinted at, but never resolved. Right. Like who or what it is. Though I think you and I probably both have some strong theories. Yeah. Um. Let's let's maybe dive into uh, how that all begins. Marianne gets a letter in the mail, a chain letter that says, "Share this." Send this along to 20 of your friends, or you will have bad luck. Yeah. With this letter, you don't get anything for not breaking the chain except good luck. But if you do break the chain, bad luck will be visited upon you, the recipient of this letter, and your friends and loved ones. Harm will come your way. And this letter, mind you, is written with the, like, cut-out letters from magazines. So it's super fucking creepy. Uh-huh. Marianne brings that letter to the Babysitter's Club, and they have, like, a big debate about whether or not they should send the chain letter. They decide not to. The next thing that happens is Marianne gets this, like, creepy necklace in the mail. Yeah. With, a, with an, another note. That has a seat in it. It has another note that's also written with magazine cut-out letters that says, This is a bad luck charm. It will bring you bad luck. You have to wear this bad luck charm or, like, even worse shit will happen. You'll fucking die. Right. Or uh, or maybe all the junk food will disappear. Yeah, there's Claudia seems to be worried about That's that. That's what Claudia's concern is. Yeah, which is weird for a doll. Though maybe she's she's speculating about how she no longer I don't think she's fully in, like, a digestive sort system. of figured out that it's happening to her yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Claudia's just, she's, like, she's empty. She's just waking up every day, like, stiff, and her skin is becoming, like, more and more, like, glossy. Her face is becoming, like, clearer and clearer in complexion. Yeah. Sad. But, you know, like, I do think that that Claudia, a little bit in this book, starts to work with, at least is working with the other babysitters to try to resolve this, which is nice, which is a positive sign. And you know what else is, like, what Claudia wears every week? Yeah. It's, like, out of fucking control this week. Yeah, she's. It seemed pretty crazy. It seems like like it's, following she wore, on from your theory. It's like it's like off the. It's like slightly off the deep end. You know, it's like the eternal sadness of Claudia is translated into like like normally she just like wears cool, colorful shit, and it's like oh, that's trendy. But this week to me, it was like, are you okay, Claudia? I think she's losing control of her of her body. Yeah, like she can't. At one point, her hair is being described as like half done. Yeah. Like half of it is up in a ponytail, and the other half is like yeah pushed down I got, in front let of me, her face. Let me let me tell the baby nation what Claudia wore this week. So you, baby bees, baby girls, Claudia wore this week. Hang on, we got to come up with a cool name for it. Oh no, no, I've got it. Claudia's closet. Yeah, good. Closety, no, Claudia's no. Closey in his closet. Claudia. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll figure out some theme music for that in post. Yeah. Or you will. Claudia's closet. Claudia's Listen, this week on Claudia's Closet, what Claudia wore was her vegetable blouse, an oversized white shirt with a green vegetable print all over it, cabbages and squashes and turnips and stuff. Under the blouse was a very short jean skirt, white stockings, green anklets over the stockings, and lavender sneakers, the kind boys usually wear, with a lot of rubber and big laces and the name of the manufacturer in huge letters on the sides. Wait, I'm not done. Claudia had pulled the hair on one side of her head back with a yellow clip that looked like a poodle. The hair on the other side of her head was hanging in her face. Attached to the one ear you could see was a plastic earring about the size of a jar lid. 
Yeah. That, <laughs> like, like, no one's raising their hand for that. No. <laughs> what the fuck are you wearing, Claudia? And it seems like Claudia is losing control, man. She's, she's out of she's, her she's mind. She's deteriorating into this this being other than human. Yeah. Anyway, that's Claudia's closet. That was Claudia's closet. God damn, that was a good new segment. Let's see. What do you want? What do you want to talk about next? There's so much. There, like, Logan's back. Oh, Logan's back. Logan is so back, and it, Logan's role in this is so interesting. He, like, I feel like at some at, t- at times he's suspected of being the perpetrator of the bad luck charm. Yeah, you kind of want you kind of want Anna Martin kind of wants you to think that. Yeah, but it's not him. It's these two girls at school called Grace and Koki. Is that Cokie. right? Yeah, Koki. Grace and Koki, who are jealous. Right. Um, but the thing, like, the, the thing that is really important here in this book, and this is where there's some intertextuality with Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls, is that Grace and Koki were the people who sent the bad luck charm. Right. And they were try- and then the, and then, like, the, the, they send a final letter where they're like, meet us in by old Hickory's grave at midnight on Halloween. Right. Um, and the babysitters are, like, super fucking freaked out. They bravely come together and agree that they're going to do it. And then at the last minute, Marianne realizes, because of a, a hint that Koki had dropped at school, that it's actually probably Grace and Koki who are setting this thing up, and they're going to try to spook them right. at the graveyard. Yep. And so the babysitters do an awesome, like, reverse spook, which is cool. Like, they show up in ghost costumes and masks and, like, freak Desecrate the, a grave. Desecrate a grave and, like, freak out. Like, it's intense. Yeah. Like, they, cir- they all wear these masks and circle Grace and Koki, like, chanting at them. Yeah, it sounded fucking terrifying, it's, man. Like, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, one of them is described as standing there, stiff as a board, just muttering under her breath, "Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God." Oh yeah, God. like yeah. they're they're utterly horrified. Yeah, it's midnight on Halloween, right? It's and you're attacked by like goblins and yeah. ghosts. Yeah, it's fucking awful. They're wearing these crazy masks. Like even Marianne was scared, and she was in on the ploy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good stuff, but arguably these girls deserved it because they were kind of planning on doing the same thing. Oh, um, you know who was there in the background orchestrating the whole thing quietly from behind a bush? Logan Bruno. Logan Bruno, snake in the grass. Snake in the grass. Um, I've got some quotes from Logan that I want to read just because I want to. I want to talk like Logan. Here's 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 the hint that um, that Dawn thinks it's Logan. She says, "I was so surprised when Logan showed up." <laughs> I know this is really awful, Marianne, and I'm sorry, but when I first saw him, I thought, just for a split second, that he was in on whatever Koki and Grace were up to. And then Logan cuts in, big fucking grin on his face. Oh, I don't know. I was eating this nice, pleasant dinner tonight when the phone rang. This voice told me to go to some grave in the cemetery at midnight tonight <laughs> if I wanted to see something really amazing. Well, I'm curious, and I like a little adventure, so I decided to go. He's got this like like weird like affect where he's just like oh little old me just from crazy Louisiana I don't yeah. even know what's going on and right here here I show up at the graveyard just surprises anyone and like to double down on I think where you're headed Grace and Cokie's reason for doing all this was so shaky yeah it was just like oh um we just didn't like how much time Logan was spending with, with you guys Marianne. yeah. But, and here's the the real point that hammers this home. The chain letter that is sent to Marianne that promises her bad luck in the first place, if she breaks the chain, is never explained. Right. They determine beyond doubt that Grace and Koki were not behind the chain letter. 
And this is a book that is in many ways about fate and causality and fortune and how fate affects us and how we think about fate and how faith affects us. Uh And the fatalistic letter that sets all of this in motion is unexplained. And this letter, which promises bad luck, means that Koki and Grace are just part of the bad luck right. that's happening to but them. But there's still there's still an instigator. There's an instigator. There's someone who started all this. Right. And it's obvious who it is. Yeah. There are constant, constant clues about who it is. Yeah. When the letter comes to them, they you know, they throw it away thinking it's nothing, but then they have bad luck visited upon them and all of their family members and friends. Yeah. So they decide to do some research into the occult, into spells, into bad luck. And they keep saying, like, oh, we're all in this together, we're all in this together, we all have to kind of look into this together, we all have to protect one another. And it comes up not once but twice where they sort of get into something, they're like talking about what this could mean, like what's causing all this, and Logan, Bruno, just sort of like quietly excuses himself. Oh, constantly. At one point, Christy says, remember, she said we have to ward off the evil forces, How, Claudia demanded to know. Not one of us had an answer, especially not Logan, who was looking at all of us as if we were crazy. Like, he he kind of excuses himself in that situation. He's just, like, playing it off like, oh, you know, you... You crazy gals and your your witchcraft and your your bad luck fortunes and your spells. Right. Um, And then later on, they all decide to go to the library together to check out a bunch of books on witchcraft Mm -hmm. and do some research. And Logan... Once again, I invited Logan to join us, but he said he wouldn't be able to go. I guess the thought of being with six girls who were doing research on witchcraft was just too much for him. Yep. I wrote that exact quote down. That's what I was just looking for. Yeah. He, like, conveniently, he's perfectly happy to hang out with them every lunch break. Right. Soon as they start delving into witchcraft, he's like, oh, uh, so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I got I to gotta get home to my mom. He also politely excuses himself from the midnight Halloween cemetery visit. Yeah. But somehow still ends up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's astounding. And the, one of the books that they get out on witchcraft is it's called On Witchcraft. Uh-huh. I looked it up. It's surprising to me that this book is in Stony Brook Library. On Witchcraft is a book written in 1692 by a guy called Cotton Mather. Uh-huh. It's a theologian's book that provides readers with uh, guidelines for discovering witches and explains the devil's predicament in dealing with Christianity. That's like some intense, like to have it like Sounds a like 17th century book written by like a crazy Puritan who is like hunting witches. Yeah. Like that's that's just sitting in the Stony Brook Library. First of all, that book's probably worth a lot of money. Right. You know, you're not going to have like kids having their little grubby little hands I mean, hands this is on. Stony Brook, Connecticut. This is a place that was probably the epicenter of the occult and witch yeah. hunting back in the kind of pre-colonial days when the first English citizens were arriving on American shores. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I There's so much in Like, no, normally we, we talk about the occult in these books as kind of like something that sort of happens in the background of the regular plot. But this is what this book is about. This right. book is about... They're dealing with dark forces in Stony Brook. There's no question about that. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me were the like the dreams and omens. 
that uh-huh. are all over this book. Let's talk about it because I was just quietly doing everyone's favorite segment, Tanner Google something. Oh wow! While you were talking, yeah, and I got an omen. There's something I picked up on and meant to research, and I just did some brief research. Well, let, let me see if it's the same thing that I picked up on. Okay. I the, the a bird is traditionally an omen. Yep. Like same if, thing. if if you see a bird, it's an omen, uh-huh. and it, this is pitched as part of like it's like the escalation, right? Marianne gets this chain letter that says like you're gonna have bad luck if you break the chain, and she starts having little bits of bad luck like she like forgets her homework and like she's late to a meeting and like she like trips on her way to school and then the bad luck escalates and one of the pieces of bad luck is she's babysitting for the pikes and uh little sparrow flies into the house through the chimney yeah through the chimney and something that i looked up about birds i just looked up like omens birds in the house yeah uh and i got to this page that just said it it had one line it said a bird in the house signifies death Uh (laughs) um what did what did you come up with well i've got sparrows yeah and their importance in witchcraft yeah um they're a symbol of peasants and common people therefore dignity and self-worth wow they're also seen as symbols of triumph against all odds okay so is there more because like this is i think like what's interesting to me about that is that like this book which seems so dark it seems like the babysitter's club is losing against these dark forces there is this like there's this line of hopefulness in it that i think is like like the juxtaposition between like the vicissitudes of fate and like how they are just predetermined to end up like being the victims of these dark forces and like there's nothing they can do about it. They broke the chain and like fate has been set in motion. Yeah. And then on the other side is faith, right? Is there is that through faith they may be saved. Yeah. There is a chance that they'll be saved. There is this theme of faith that runs through it. And it's represented in particular by so the bad luck charm that Grace and Cokie right. Send to Marianne is just something that must have found at the thrift store. Right. But it's this necklace that has a mustard seed in it. And Mr. Spear, who makes an appearance, uh, is like, oh, that's a mustard seed. That's a symbol of faith. And the parable of the mustard seed, as you know. Oh, God, sure. Um, <laughs> how, can I, how can I forget the parable of the mustard seed? Yeah, Matthew thirteen thirty-one to 32. I'll read it real quick. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So that's what you were talking about with the this sparrow, which can symbolize witchcraft, which can symbolize death, mm-hmm. can also symbolize triumph. Yeah. If you have faith. Yeah. Um, I and think I, these girls have divine protection. I, it's It's tight, right? Like, they got to put their faith in this thin strand, in this tiny little thing. Right. This tiny little thing. It's a mustard seed. It's like you could drop it and you wouldn't even notice. Right. But that mustard seed is going to grow into a tree. They have this mustard seed to protect them. They have the sparrow yeah. who came to offer some kind of protection right. against these forces. Well, and if you think if you think about the sparrow as being a protective force, this kind of p- plays into something that I wrote down. Last, last time we talked a little bit about Margot Pike. Yeah, who it's kind of unclear what's going on with her, but but we had a theory from the last book based on the way that she kind of manipulates dolls that she is is kind of on the side of darkness here, and that she's got a lot of control. <laughs> 
Best Fiends is a free-to-download, casual, mobile puzzle game with literally yep. thousands of levels that is boredom's yep. worst nightmare. And yep. uh, if you guys don't remember, Tanner and I have been engaging in a friendly competition yep. uh, between my group of fiends, uh, the... Jack's, Jack's jerks, jumping jerks, Jack's jumping jerks, and Tanner's tiny, tiny ticklers. ticklers. Yep. Um, and up until now, we've had some difficulties because while I have been playing through the game at quite a clip and advancing uh, and binging on the game and advancing mm-hmm. from level to level uh, and enjoying more levels, events, and challenges that are added all the time, um, Tanner, you've tended to have trouble um, getting your phone started. My phone wasn't working, but yeah. I have gotten it to work, Jack, okay. and I've, I've, I feel like I've caught up with you in best yeah. fiends. Um, okay, that's great to hear. And I'm really I'm, I'm here to engage with you on it and and talk about kind of our experiences playing the game. I do love the game. I just had a lot of phone troubles up until now. Okay, well I'm glad. But you're now back I'm in. I'm embracing it. I'm playing it. I'm having so much fun with it. I love it. Okay, well, I'll start. Uh, so one of my experiences playing the game that I really enjoy is um, I really like picking which fiends to use and oh, upgrading them that. and c- building a crack team as I go through the levels. My favorite is Mordecai. Okay, that's not one. It's my favorite fiend. What level are you on, Jack? I am somewhere in the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And yourself? Seven D thousand. Well, okay, that's a lot. They do have thousands of levels, uh, and they do have updates 000. all the time, so you can keep At playing as 70, much as you want. Yes. So yep. that's what level I'm on, and w- I am having a fun with it. It's me. It's Mordecai. Yeah. It's um, okay. That's not one of them. Well, maybe it's in the later levels. It's but, in the, and, you haven't got there yet. Uh, it says here, what makes you want to keep at it? That's a good thing. For me, it's just, it's binge worthy and it's like, it's bite sized. You can just play like a little bit for like 10 minutes uh, when you've got, when you're waiting for the something, whatever. To me, it's the feeling it gives me, if you know what I mean. No. Oh, just binge worthiness. It feels so good to play. Yeah. And uh, when do you play? Only at night, baby. Okay. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Um, Only at night. Okay, perfect. I'm starting to think that you still have not been able to get your phone started. I I really want to play more. <laughs> yeah. Jack, I do love the game. It's very fun, and we yeah. were competing, but I have so many phone problems. Is it possible that you're f- holding your phone upside down? Tried that. Yeah. Okay. You know you can hold your phone sideways, too? Yeah. <laughs> And I tried that as well because someone I was I was on the forums. I've been in touch with the makers of Best Fiends, and I just I, this is not their fault. I can tell you this is not their fault. And the phone. game is so fun. Yeah. I'm so interested in playing. Yeah. Okay. Have you tried turning your phone on? Oh, there's a button on that usually on the side. What do you mean on? Forget it. Uh, download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Holy shit. That's friends without the R. Best thing just lit up. Fiends. Okay. Well, this is great. Whoa. That's a lot of <laughs> notifications. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Margot is the one who deals with the sparrow. Here's, a, here's the line. The, the sparrow's in the house. Uh, Margot is this, is this seven-year-old pike girl. Right. Uh, go ahead, little birdie. Margot coaxed the sparrow. Then, suddenly, feeling brave, or maybe bossy, she raised her hands in the air and ran toward a window, waving and screaming, Get out of here, bird! The sparrow flew ahead of her and went right out the window. 
Margot, who has power over dolls, as right. was established last time we talked about this, also has power over the creatures of the air. Right. And this creature in particular is sent, we think, to protect these girls. That's like, it's the little things. It's the mustard seed. It's the little sparrow. It's these tiny little signs that... Margo just snuffed it out. Yeah. And I want to like lean in a little bit to what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not just pulling this faith stuff out of nowhere. Like, the mustard seed is one thing. The way that it ends is Marianne is talking about... um, how the the mustard seed is a symbol of faith is what allows her to continue. Like at, right at the end of the book, they resolve the mystery, except they don't know, like they re- figure out where the, uh, like what Koki and Grace were up to, uh-huh. but they don't know where the chain letter came from. Though no one seems to give a shit, right? But Marianne, as the in the last scene in the book, drops a mirror and everyone's like, oh fuck, that's seven years bad luck. Right. And she says, she literally says like, I I have changed my mind about bad luck. It's like the last line of the book. Because I have faith, I know that we're going to be okay. Right. It's such a pow- it's such a powerful ending. And it, it I mean it ends like it ends with a question mark, right? And I was talking about the intertextuality between this book and Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls. And if you'll remember Claudia and the Phantom Phone Calls in that book, they figure out that the, the the person who's calling them up right. and Alan, doing deep Alan breathing Gray. is Alan Gray, Christi, like the guy who has a crush on Christy. At but school. the original but phantom the, phone calling crimes remain. He's still unsolved. at large. He's still at large yeah. today. Yeah, like he's still walking around in Connecticut. That dude who called up people and like stole their jewels and like like that that phantom phone caller is like as far as we know walking around on Fulton Street right now. Ugh, maybe it's one of us. Ugh, Jesus. Um, wow, this has been a real lore-heavy episode, uh, Baby Nation. Yeah, if this is if you're just tuning in for if, the first time, you're like, oh, I heard some good things about this Babysitters Club podcast. I'll, I guess I'll just listen to the most recent one, and yeah. you're kind of diving in here. Like, yeah. tap yeah. those brakes. Go ahead and go open your iTunes right now. Go back. Uh, maybe start from the beginning. I mean, start take, from the beginning if you want, but like, yeah, take the journey. This take is the not. Journey, and I'll tell you something, man. If you take this journey with us, like all those feelings of skepticism you have right now, where you're like, I read these books as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't remember all this, like, witches and dolls and. Ghosts. No, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. And we will take you there. We will take you. We will take you there book by book. Uh, so we got we to gotta find something here that it's actually going to be entertaining and not just us. All right. Spouting. Well, do you want to talk about the Wheel of Fortune? The Robert Jordan series of no. uh, fantasy novels. No, that's the, the Wheel, Wheel of, of time. time. What did you say? The Wheel of Fortune. Oh, the um, hit TV afternoon game show starring Pat Sajak. No, I'm obviously talking about the Rota Fortunae. Uh, the wheel of that fortune, means the round fortune, means the wheel of fortune that appears in Boethius's sixth century consolation of philosophy. Do you not know this? Have you not read this? Boethius. 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 He's a sixth century theologian. Okay. Uh, and he, I think that 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 like it, like it, it's obvious to me that that is something that is a big part of what this book is about okay. like what the wheel of fortune is a very famous like it started like wheel of fortune no that's not where that comes from yeah. i mean it is where it comes from yeah. that is where it comes from okay but the like the origin 
is probably before Boethius, but Boethius kind of made it famous in the 6th century. Like an R, Pat. Fortune is a blind like a, goddess. Uh, consonant? Uh, R? No, that's a... I, everybody R's. knows the game show. I'm not talking about the game show. I'm talking about... I'm talking about Boethius. Yeah. This is... How often like do you get to... solve to, the puzzle? How often in your daily life do you get to talk is about Boethius? Boethius? I'll tell you the answer for myself. Not often. And I was excited... Explain what the Wheel of Fortune is. Just get on with it. The Wheel of Fortune is a wheel that is controlled by the blind goddess, Fortune. Uh-huh. And at the I top of Justice it... Justice was blind. Yeah, Justice is blind, too. Are they friends? Yeah, they, like, they are often associated together. Okay. But what Fortune does is she, she'll, stick the, she'll stick you right up at the top, and you're having a nice old time. Yeah. Everything's going well. She favors the bold. And then she turned, no, but then she'll turn that wheel and through no, like nothing that you can do, you're suddenly on the bottom and your life is falling apart. What's the point of living then? That's the fucking question. That's exactly the question. And if you want the answer, I highly recommend you read The Consolation of Philosophy. Oh my God. Here's something I can promise you. I am never, ever, (laughs) ever in my life going to read The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. It's really short. Sixth century. It's really short. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, I'll tell you something else before, like, hopefully I get to my point, which is not a very, very, like, robust one. Uh Um, It's in medieval Latin, which is way easier to read. If you have just basic Latin. Is that like Chaucer stuff? No, no. Chaucer is Middle English. Okay. But medieval Latin is is a kind of Latin that, that is a lot simpler and is written like the word order is very very much like English. Okay, still a totally foreign language, and you're you're asking me to pick up this book. You can read it in a translation. Anyway, listen, I kind of assumed that this was going to pop into your head as well, because it's like this book like has these two strands, which is faith, which is the strand that pulls you through, but it's also about the vicissitudes of fortune. It's also about this sort of like this Boethian wheel, right? Like another example is that like it's that the Halloween hop has come around again, right? They're about yeah. to the girls are about to go to the Halloween hop. Yeah. Well, the, time is a wheel, right? Time it's is like a the flat circle. No. Well, yes, but let's not mix our metaphors. Yeah. Like time has come around again and the the babysitters are in a predicament again and like their fortunes were up and now they're down and the question that Boethius asks that I think is also the question that is posed by this book is, do we have any control over our bad luck? Does Marianne have any control over her bad luck mystery? Is she like she was on top of the Wheel of Fortune last week? Now she's now now the wheel got turned and she's on the bottom. Is that something that she has anything like? Is that something she can do anything about? You know who answers that question? Boethius. Boethius. Uh, but for Baby Nation, if you haven't read it, I'm not going to spoil it. Boethius has the answer to that question. What is Consolation it? of philosophy. Spoil it. I'm not going to read it. I don't read Middle English. Read the book for more details. I'm not going to get into it more oh. on this podcast, which is about the Babysitters Club. Which is is it? The, um, I'm going to cut you off right now because I know what you're about to ask. I didn't have either. You didn't, wait, hang on. Let me ask the question at least. All right, why don't you ask me? You want to ask me the question? Yeah, Jack. Yes, Tanner. Did you have mm-hmm. this week mm-hmm. a burn, burn of, of the, the week? week? That felt pretty good. Yeah. Did you have one? Yeah, I fucking did, man. 
I didn't capture one. I'm week. surprised. I'll tell you something. I wrote down this burn of the week, and while it, when I wrote it down, I was like, oh, man, this is a bummer because Tanner's going to have the same one because it's such a hot burn. Allow me to elaborate. Dave and Michael and Karen. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You got it? Yeah, for some reason it didn't register as a burn of the week for me, though. Wow, crazy to me. Okay, well, l- allow me to tell the Baby Nation, who I, I imagine some of them didn't read this book. What? <laughs> not, not this. They didn't read it just recently like us. Oh. David Michael and Karen Brewer, Christie's stepbrother and sister, are walking along. It's Halloween. They're trick-or-treating. Karen Brewer is dressed as a witch. Yep. David Michael says, hey, Karen, aren't you going to put your mask on? It is on, Karen said witheringly from behind her warty, grayish, pointy-nosed mask. Oh, I couldn't tell, said David Michael. He doubled over laughing, as did I. Yeah, pretty good. That's a fucking hot burn. Yeah. I feel like David Michael has really um, kind of come into his own yeah. in the last few He's a real winner. And like going up against Karen Brewer is a tough thing to do. That's uh, so. The, our our second segment. We're we're rolling through segments in the moment. Our second segment that we do uh, weekly is is called the tearful moment. Neither of us had one. Neither of us had one. This, this is, is not, not a sad. This book. is not a sad book. It's a terrifying book. Here's my tearful moment. Okay. Considering my own existence and whether or not anything matters, and whether or not we're all set on predetermined courses, and whether or not there's a god, and whether or not he's keeping an eye on me yeah that's a good tearful moment let me make it a little more tearful you let me tell you a little bit just real quick real fucking quick about the circumstances under which boethius wrote the consolation of philosophy why don't you just go start a fucking boethius podcast <laughs> with your goddamn nerd friends i would love that <laughs> so much let, but real quick boethius was like hot shit in politics of his time everybody loved him he was like favorite of the of the emperor and everybody was like everyone was like oh what's what's Boethius up to Boethius is cool he's like a cool fucking philosopher and then he fell out of favor right and got thrown in like so he's this like rich ass dude got fell out of favor got thrown in the darkest dungeon yeah and they were like we're gonna execute you in three days and like they like hung him from a wall that's when he wrote the consolation of philosophy just like, like dictated it. He's like or? I got three days. Well, he had one. Let's say he had one hand free. Okay. I don't know the exact circumstances. <laughs> That's when he wrote the Constellation of Philosophy, which is this nice book where he's like, "Hey, it's cool. Fortune. Sometimes fortune puts you puts you in a good place. Sometimes it puts you in a bad place. But if you have faith, faith is like a mustard seed. Yeah, and it, it's it seems like a small thing, but it's going to grow into the biggest damn tree you ever saw. And uh, much like Marianne's bad luck mystery, you know, it's sad, but it's also like there's there's hope there. I'm worried there's not. Yeah. I'm worried there's not, man. Let's run through our other ones. Do you have a great American novel of the week? Uh, does sixth century no, it doesn't. British philosopher? I don't think so. Philosopher um, Boethius. You got any other notes? Um, yeah, I got a couple. At some point, uh, Logan and Marianne are, are dressed in this, like, they dress as cats. but From the hit musical Cats. From the hit musical Cats. Right. Logan's mom is driving them, and, like, she's acting weird. Yeah. And they're like, Logan's like, Mom, what's what's the problem? Are you, are you do you not like what's happening? And what? she, she says, no, you two look wonderful. It's just that I've never driven anywhere with cat people in the back seat. Oh, my I, God. Are you saying cat people are another part of, the, like, another faction? Well, what I think is that it's weird that, like, obviously she has driven somewhere with cat people in the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what I'm saying? You you think it's a semant- like a semantic issue? Yeah, she's saying I've never driven anywhere with cat people in the back seat. Yeah, not used to that. But that's such a weird thing to say. It's like, when are you driving cat people around, Mrs. Fucking Bruno? Right. Well, back in Louisiana or Kentucky. Yeah. Louisville. The cat people have already taken Louisville. <laughs> that's why they fled. These are yeah. refugees. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um. That was just a little note. Oh, here's another one. Marianne has this dream that she's fallen off a mountain early on. Uh huh. She dreams she's climbing a mountain and she fell off. Yeah, she was really falling out of uh, her bed. Yeah, she's actually falling out of the bed. Right. I looked up in Artemidorus, who's the Greek writer uh, about dreams, one of the first extant pieces of writing about dream interpretation. Uh huh. Why didn't you look in Freud? He's the most popular dream interpreter. Oh, I should have looked in Freud. For some reason, Artemidor. No, no, let's not do this segment. Tanner Googles. Tanner Googles while Jack is annoyed. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Let's just have a conversation without. a really great segment with a perfect theme song. I feel like I. Tanner Googles. Tanner Googles. Here's the utility of Tanner Googles. It's your favorite segment. Tanner Googles. Stop it. It just happens. Just let it happen. It's frustrating because. Tanner will always google there's your fucking faith there's your bedrock wow that was set that was set that's your mustard seed tanner will always google that's your faith that's your bedrock jack and what's frustrating here's the when thing you're feeling when your faith is shaken just think <laughs> it's it's the dark night of the soul you're losing faith wow you're you're worried about your own fate and fortune yeah and you just think no Tanner Google somewhere out there. Tanner's beneath just the it. pale moonlight. <laughs> Tanner's googling. T- Tanner's googling it. Can, while you fucking Google this, you son of a bitch, can I at least tell you like the one word thing that Artemidorus says that mountains signify? If you dream about a mountain, like Marianne does at the beginning of this book, may mm-hmm. I? Yeah. May I? Yeah. Fear. Fear is what a mountain signifies. Mountains. I'm sorry. Mountains are like rock solid. Like eternal structures on this earth. I'm not the fucking dream analyst here. Dreaming about a mountain as early as, well, fuck, I'm going to say the second century is a symbol of fear. And that's what this book is in many ways about. You want to know what Freud says? What, do you, what does Freud say? Is it sexual? <laughs> We've already spoken of natural scenery as a representation of the female genitals. <laughs> Mountains and cliffs are symbols of the male organ, and the garden a frequent symbol of female genitals. Well, that's fucking perfect, and that makes so much sense. Because ultimately, in the Martin verse, in the Sitter verse, <laughs> when evil comes into play, God, when the- Freud, you f- you like you fucked me. I was trying to prove a point, and you fucked me, no, Freud, with your god. It's exactly always about fucking right. No genitals and sex. Listen with to me, you, you're Freud. exactly fucking right. When the girls are threatened when the babysitters are threatened in these books. And stop Googling now. Listen to me. Pay attention to me. Yeah. When the girls are threatened in these books, this is a fucking through line. What they are threatened by, what they are ultimately threatened by, what is the ultimate co- cause, the ultimate cause of all of the evil that they suffer, it's the fucking patriarchy. It's the men in their lives. It's the Logans. It's been that it's way the since fucking book one, absent, man. Like Christie's fucking absent father. It's Don's fucking Disneyland daddy. So Marianne dreams of climbing a mountain, falls off it. Is it a big surprise that the mountain is the fucking symbol of the male genitalia that has done literally nothing for her except put her on this green 
Green Earth and then just leave her behind. Right. No. And you know what happens right after she dreams of falling off the mountain? She's the hero of this novel. Yeah. She she reclaims her own like fate. Yeah. And her own predestination. Through an she, incredible act of bravery. Yeah. And faith. Yeah. And faith. You're right. And that Which happens right after she dreams of tearing down the patriarchy. Yeah. This is good stuff. Ugh. It's powerful stuff. Can't wait to have Anna Martin on. Oh, man. She's going to be. I'm just going to confront her with. It's going to be a torrent. That's going to be the first thing. Um, All the talk we just had of the patriarchy, Jack. Yeah. Reminds me of. A passage in this book. Mm-hmm. Two babysitters, Claudia and Mallory, are over at the Pikes' house, taking care of all eight children. As you know, anytime the Pikes need a babysitter, they need two babysitters because there are eight Pike children. Right. Mr. and Mrs. Pike are out late. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls come over right at dinner time, mm-hmm. and dinner is already on the oven. Mm-hmm. What dinner is tonight is quote a batch of some sort of casserole with hot dog pieces in it. Claudia thought it looked revolting, so she personally wasn't too upset about what happened a few minutes later, but the Pikes, even Mallory, were. Apparently, this dish is special to them. They call it Daddy Stew. Mm-hmm. Daddy Stew. I wrote that down as well. And in the context of what you were talking about, it's fucking perfect. Like, this is a book, as we've just established, about these girls kind of taking on the patriarchy. Uh-huh. And what better symbolism for that than they get together and they burn the daddy stew. Yeah. They ritualistically burn the daddy stew. Yeah, moments like, later, the daddy stew yeah. becomes burnt. And they got to throw it out. They just throw it out. They throw it out, but you know what? They still have dinner. Yeah. They still have dinner. They don't need daddy. No, they don't need daddy. They don't fucking need daddy. They make their own way. Yeah. They make their own way. Why? Because they have faith. It starts off like a little mustard seed grows into a tree. This is a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Uh, what a winner. Baby Nation, there was a lot of darkness in this book. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of, a lot of evil intent. There was a lot of abuse by the patriarchy. But we fucking came out the other side. We came out the other side. We started off with a little seed of hope. Yep. And that seed grew into a tree. Yep. And next week, we're going to be reading a book that is called Stacy's Mistake. No, no, Jack, you're mistaken. <laughs> Stacy is no longer a POV character. Stacy doesn't exist in the Sitterverse anymore. Stacy is in charge of the New York branch of the Babysitters Club. This is a business that has bureaus all around the country. We're just try to stay, just try to keep it together. Remember, she's going to talk about. Is she going to talk about how much she loves New York? Oh God, no fucking doubt. Right, <sighs> that's literally all she, she's going to be like. My mistake is. I only have two things about me. I like New York and I have diabetes. Maybe Claudia will visit New York. Maybe the maybe the BSC will come and visit Stacy next week. Something we can look forward to. Oh, cool. They could do all the fun New York stuff. Yeah. yeah. They could go see Sleep No More. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. They could walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. However, I think it sounds like it's all going to go wrong because Stacy's going to fuck it up. Next week on the Babysitter's Club, read along with us Stacy's Mistake. As much as I'm not the biggest fan of Stacy, Stacy leaving is what tore this fucking club apart. So bringing her back, if we can, which I'm not promising, might be the beginning of starting to heal some of these wounds. Listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I have been Jack Shepard. I'm Tanner Greenring. Claudia's wearing a bra now. The way she talks, you think boys just been invented. In 86, N.M. Martin wrote the 
first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Club. All right, what about this? Your bae sends you a playlist that's lit AF. Yeah. It's lit, lit as fire. Lit as fire. Lit lit a fire. Your bae lit a fire with that playlist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, get in the car. Yeah. And don't forget the aux cord. Well, the aux cord's in the car. No, it's not. The aux input is in the car. If you didn't bring an aux cord, you're shit out of luck. Why would you take it out of the car in the first place? I don't know. What if it's a rental? 